And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The U. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through. With the U ain't no bark, dude. Straight dog when we bring the fight. Ain't scared of no bright lights. Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, your Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. And it's Monday. We're recording around 3 p.m. Uh, the Canes are 6-1, and one, ranked ninth in the AP poll, coming off that 44-41 to 41 win at NC State. And we've brought on somebody you're very familiar with, Kelvin Harris, former three-time national championship winner at the University of Miami, starting center for Gino Toretta on the uh, 91 championship team. Kelvin, how you doing, man? Uh, I can't complain. So back out yeah i was gonna say i mean they won they're six and one and uh you know clemson's the only loss think they're top 10 team things are going well but you would think if you just read everything on twitter and you read everything on social media that you know blake baker would have been fired by now um <clears throat> i'm curious how you've sort of taken uh the reaction from the fan base is it ex- is it something you expected coming off a 44 41 win or uh well they're fans yeah i mean i mean i think just the fans i got a couple of my uh, alumni constantly texting me during the game oh this and that look he didn't make any calls that you know you say well that was stupid there were some situations where their receivers made some really good plays. The quarterback played out of his mind for three and three-fourths of a game, three and three-fourth quarters. Um, And then, you know, they had a bye week. So, obviously, their coaching staff was smart enough to switch some stuff up after they got their ass run through the week before. You know, the game before, so they were like, well, we got to do something different. They did a good job of scouting us, so they 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 implemented plays that had beaten us before, especially like that first first uh, series where they used basically the same play that Clemson scored on. So it took the guys a while to figure it out. Three quarters, actually. But when they figured it out, you know, it was interesting because I looked at the little press conference that Manny does, and he was saying it's just like something that just clicked, you know, when they went out fourth quarter. And it's like, you know, after you've seen something enough, you start getting the pattern. And, you know, when you watch film during the week and you go through the practice, you get a pattern. But if they change up the tendencies, now you got to figure out the tendencies again. And it just took a while, but that is what 2020 is all about, making adjustments, being uncomfortable, learning how to deal with that, and coming through with a win. 
And that's what we did. You and I talk a lot off air all the time uh, about this team, about this program. So I always forget which conversation it is that we talked about it. But, you know, people, I think, have sort of they have to come to accept that college football is different from when it was in the 80s and 90s. And Miami was the dominant power that had the kind of depth that when you had guys out, you know, the next guy coming in was was going to go to the NFL, too. Like this roster isn't built like that. And there's only probably three teams, maybe four, in college football that are that are deep like those old Miami teams were. And, and that, to me, is like, you know, Alabama, Clemson, and uh, uh, Ohio State. And, you know, I think the fact that Miami's been in these dogfights, that they've won 44-41 and 19-14, to and well, I, I forgot how much they beat Pitt, Pitt by. I think it was 12 points or whatever it was. 31-19. Yeah, 31-19. I mean, the, these these scores the Virginia game wasn't a dog fight. Well, it was in the last 5 minutes just because they got that late touchdown. But just the point is Miami's not just going to come out and steamroll teams and just because they're in the top 10 doesn't mean that that's going to change like all of a sudden they're going to become that. I think there is a sizable gap between Miami and everybody else in terms of the elites and, you know, the reason they lost to Clemson 42-17 is because Clemson is a, is that on that elite level. Miami's not there yet. And I think, you know, these teams get up for Miami. They save certain parts of their game plan. Uh, they, they throw in new wrinkles, uh, all those kind of things. And that's what you're seeing week to week, right? You're seeing teams that, that kind of go uncharacteristic. And I know there's Miami fans that say, oh, why aren't the coaches ready for that? They should prepare their guys. But there are things that are being saved, especially for Miami, right? Well, case in point, UAB. It came out in a completely different defense mm-hmm. um, this week. Pretty much the same thing with uh, NC. They they ran the base defense, but they added a wrinkle to it. They ran the 46 defense. They were not going to let us run the ball inside. Eventually, we warmed down and we started moving the ball. Actually ran pretty good. Um, yeah, the, look, I, I've said this to you many times. These kids are playing ghosts. You know, they've got like three, four opponents every week. They're playing team across. Then they're playing us. You know, they're playing the alumni because the expectations are they have to be us. They have to be, you know, my era and the 2001, 2002, 2000 era. Well, that's just unrealistic. And your point about there's teams with depth. Saturday night proved that there's nobody with depth. Nobody. Not Clemson, not Alabama, not Ohio State. Nobody. Because you see what happened when Clemson lost two guys. They got their ass roasted. It's there are there there are very few freaks out there. Pretty much all of these kids are the same kid. There's like I look around, okay. Jalen Waddle, he's unique. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, unique. Uh, Sewell, Oregon, unique. Oof. That's about it. I'll say this. Derek King is unique in that he has the ability to carry a team. There's not many guys like that. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Garrett King, Sam Howell, 
Am I missing anybody? No. I mean, in the ACC, I think you pretty much hit it on the head. Um, I'm glad you brought up De'Eric King uh, because that was a performance for the ages. Uh, first of all, there's not many quarterbacks who, who throw for 400 yards and run for 100 yards and then much less throw five touchdown passes in the process, especially at the power five level. It just doesn't happen. He's done uh, it twice. He's done it twice, right. Um, and I, look, I think – the one thing we've seen from De'Eric King here these last couple of weeks, even even against uh, Virginia, is he's got the arm strength and he's got the arm to get the ball where it needs to go. He just needs those receivers to come up and make those catches, and that's what's happened the last two weeks. That's been the difference. He's gone from six of thirty on throws twenty yards downfield to all of a sudden, I think he's got. I'm like I got the numbers here in front of me because I did all the damn research. Um, let me find it here. The last two weeks. Uh, 20 yards downfield or longer. Six of eight for 187 yards and a touchdown against Virginia. Six of 13 for 176 yards and three touchdowns against NC State. Um, the crazy thing is he'd probably be in the Heisman discussion. Uh, if, if not for the Clemson game. If not for the Clemson game and if the receivers would have come through because he was throwing, he was giving them chances. He was putting the ball out there. Uh, yeah. But six for 30 to start the season for 205 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he's really turned it around just in these last two games. And, and it's well, because it's, the guys are turning it around, the receivers. Well, it's continuity. Um, you know, they went – they only had four practices in spring. Um, summer workouts were abbreviated. Uh, two days was different. So, you know, they come in and it – you know, Rhett Lashley told you guys – Beginning of the year, it's going to take a while. Well, it's here. <laughs> yeah, it took, what took I half the season. Is, took half the season. It's about. This sounds about right. Offense is always behind defense. What I would hope is, I'm foreshadowing here, that we run it back next year. Mm-hmm. We could be LSU of 2019 if everything it- well, that's the interesting part because I think that's the, that's the next chapter of discussion with this team is how many of these guys say to themselves, I'm going to take advantage of the NCAA rule that allows me to come back and play an extra year um, because – It's only one that matters. Yeah, I, I just think that's been the biggest hurdle for Miami is losing these guys. And you talk about the cornerback play, um, you know – we can, t- we can break that down in a minute, but, you know, imagine how different these guys would be if Trajan Bandy was back. Or what if Jeff Thomas had decided, you know what, <clears throat> I don't want to go and be on an NFL practice squad and then out of football. I'm going to give school another year because I didn't have a great junior year. How, yeah. how different would this roster be had Miami changed just those two guys, you know, and, yeah, and I convinced agree. them to come back? Uh, I, I think that's an important dynamic here going forward with, Guys like Bubba Bolden and guys like uh, Jalen Phillips and, and and you know, certainly Mike Harley, right? I mean, is Mike Harley going to be a first or second day pick in the NFL? Probably not. Just just off of these last two weeks, I think he's gotten the attention of scouts who are like, oh, wait a minute, he's got something. Um, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a first or second day pick. So will Mike Harley consider coming back and saying, hey, you know what? I, I can really put up some great numbers now. I've figured this thing out. I can be a star receiver in this league. 
in, in the ACC and potentially lead Miami to bigger things. That's that's going to be sort of the interesting part of what happens. I think I, over the next. I month. gotta be honest. I didn't even think about him, but yeah, you got a point. Um, you know, I don't know. It's funny because then Derek comes out after the game against NC State and he says, "Well, Mike and I don't have much more time here, you know, and like we're trying to get this thing done right," which tells you. And, and look, there's nothing wrong with having those dreams of going to the NFL, right? But it just shows you that, to me, that kind of quote shows you where their mind is at, right? Like, that, that that they're trying to, like, really blow up here because they care about their NFL stock. And you know that more than anybody else, Kelvin. That's, that's – you're a player. You know that that's what those guys are thinking. Well, you got to understand something. I don't even really think it's sinking into a lot of – not just our kids, but a lot of senior kids around the country that they technically got a free pass. This is a mulligan year. And I don't know if it's really sunk in yet, but, you know, at some point you got to start looking at, you know, we know about Game of Thrones. Well, then there's Game of Draft and you got to understand how the draft works. And, you know, a guy like Harley, that wouldn't be a bad move. And actually with Eric, it, it all depends on what his goal is. Mm-hmm. Um if he wants to make the NFL and, you know, play a couple years, probably a wide receiver to make some money for his family. Yeah, maybe he could go this year because even if he does finish strong, there are some guys in the NFL who just won't do it because of his height. It's, you know, no matter how good Kyler Murray looks this year, they're just not going to change their mind. But the reason why I say we could be LSU 2019. If those guys run it back and come back, um, he becomes Charlie Ward. Because a lot of you people don't, a lot of fans don't know this. Charlie Ward was in school six years. He um, didn't have the grades when he came out of high school, so he went to Tallahassee Community College for half a semester. A semester. Then he went to FSU and reassured And then you know, he had to wait behind Casey Weldon and Brad Johnson. And this is a little known fact. He was the punter for FSU in the wide right one game. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then he became the quarterback in 92 and 93. I mean, and with the way that today's game is going, if Dear King comes back, he'll be one of the three or four finalists for the Heisman. No, no doubt. I would put him as a Heisman favorite, him and Sam Howell. And what that does is you put up numbers like how Kyler Murray put up, your draft stock changes because next year there's not a lot of great quarterbacks. It's Sam Howell, it's Caden Slovis, it's possibly Jaden Daniels at Arizona State, but he won't be a first-rounder, I don't think. Neither will Michael Penix Jr. Uh, you know, some people will look at the Joe Milton kid at uh, Michigan, but Michigan's, you know, I don't know, you know, he's got the size, but, and then another guy that's probably in the same boat as uh, Derek King is Felipe Franks. Maybe he comes back and then he'll be in the mix, but there aren't a lot of great quarterbacks. So, you know, but, but if he comes back next year, it, and for whatever reason, Bubba Bolden and say Jalen Phillips decided to come back, man, could get interesting. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on Direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, a couple couple things to note as far as King's improvement, and and again, this just shows you how he's getting better as the year goes on. Uh, handling the pressure, um, you know, NC State pressured him 16 times. He was nine of 13 for 151 yards and two touchdowns when he got pressured um, earlier in the year. Uh, you know, before that game, he was 10 of 28. So he took a step forward in dealing with that. Uh, and then against the Blitz, the last two games, he's actually 20 of 28 against the Blitz for over 300 yards and five touchdowns. Earlier this season, uh, his numbers were much lower in terms of you know conversion rate, touchdowns, that kind of stuff. So he's growing as a passer. He's improving both of those areas just over the last two games. And again, well, a lot of it has to do with his receivers, but I think it also has to do with him being better. He has, his passes hadn't got that much better. The the receivers and the blitz pickup has gotten better. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the guys around him are playing better. But he's also, I mean, it's helping him in the numbers that the NFL looks at because they look at that stuff. They look at how does a guy convert on third down? What's he like in the red zone? What's he like when he faces the blitz? What about when the pressure actually gets there? What kind of decisions he make from an NFL quarterback perspective? The last two games, he is his completion percentage and his numbers have improved in those areas, and that then that helps him in the eyes that, of that, that. That's what they may tell you, but mm-hmm. the guys who study the quarterbacks are looking at the film and mm-hmm. they're looking at how he actually sits in the pocket, how he what his accuracy is, how his and and, and legitimate a legitimate uh, I guess you call it uh, concern was outside the number ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside the ashes. Through. Yeah. Yeah. I can, no, I, outside the numbers. Mm-hmm. Or you know, because the head. Well, I guess you could say outside the hashes. Yeah, but yeah. Well, he's he's seven of twelve going down the right side in the last two games. Uh, before that, he was one of fourteen. <laughs> yeah, the continuity's gotten better with the guys, but yeah. um, he can make all the throws. He's got enough arm strength. He's got great touch. He's got, and he's he's developed his, his Russell Wilson type rainbow throw. Um, I just think that you know, like Rhett Lashley said to you guys, I think in preseason or even the first week, it's going to take a while for it all to get together, and yep. it's starting to form now. This week, um, you got a Virginia Tech defense that's a hot mess. Um, we're going to see if their will was broken by the coaching blunders that cost them that game, or will they come out with 
fight in them. But either way, we have to come with our military boots on and stomp their throat. Well, we're going to – I'm actually uh, going to play a, a clip. I, I interviewed Andy Bitter uh, right before you and I got on the call, and so he and I broke down kind of what's been going on with Virginia Tech. And, and as a little teaser, I will tell you, he threw this stat at me today, but under Justin Fuente, I think after a loss, Virginia Tech is 13-4 and four or something like that. I think that's the record. So uh, they usually respond well after a bad loss. Here, actually, before they beat Miami here at Hard Rock Stadium, they had one of those devastating losses. They got blown out by Duke the week before they came down here and played Miami. And then for whatever reason... His job was on the line. Yeah, yeah. And Vegas. Matter of fact, them. I think me and Andy talked about it on my podcast where he was basically talking about would this be the week if we lost this game with his job on the line and we threw him a life raft. Mm -hmm. That's why he was celebrating in the locker room so much because basically he knew that if he lost that game to us, he probably was not to go house hunting in another neighborhood. They saved their season with that word. They have. We saved his job because, <laughs> hey, the natives were restless. But this last game, it was just some blunders all the way around, you know, between him and the defensive coordinator. And, you know, he tried to clean it up in his press conference by saying that, you know, the kids were winded after the block field goal. But, hey, man, you were the one who called timeout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't so, a very smart decision on his part. Um, <laughs> but uh, so just to wrap up the Kane's thoughts, um, everybody, obviously, we started off talking about defense. I asked Manny Diaz today, you know, about the breakdowns in the secondary. And basically what he said was, look, we got beat by some better receivers, by some guys, uh, Amezi, who could play for anybody, including uh, Clemson, according to Manny. And I agree. And, and then he said the problem was, the letdown was, they let it affect the next play and yeah. on those crossing routes and so forth. So the good news is Virginia Tech doesn't have some tremendous passing. I mean, Hendon Hooker is a great, uh, to me, is what the balance of what he does. I mean, he is, he's very good at, at both running and throwing the football. Um, but he, he's got three receivers. It's a different kind of offense than, than what Miami's uh, Miami faced last year with NC State. And Khalil Herbert probably is not going to play in that game. So, to me – If he uh, does play, he's going to be limited because a hamstring just doesn't pop back like that. Right, right. So, I, I think this matchup this week, there's an opportunity for Miami secondary to bounce back is what I'm saying. Yeah, this is a slump buster. It's the 2 o'clock pickup in the club, 3 o'clock. <laughs> that you don't even really want to know her name. <laughs> she doesn't really want to know yours. She just wants to go home. <laughs> yeah, you get your confidence back. You move on with your life. Maybe you guys run into each other, you know, five years later. Hey, I remember you. That's what Virginia Tech should be this week. I um I think we I think we can put 50 up on. Notre Dame beat uh, Clemson, which we touched on earlier briefly for a minute, how uh, they did it, obviously, without having to face Trevor Lawrence. But Notre Dame is now in the driver's seat to get to the ACC championship game. I thought Miami needed Notre Dame to lose that game because – North Carolina's going to beat them. 
Okay. Well, that's what you had told me over the phone. I was about to get to that. Um, you, you still think there's a chance Miami can get to the ACC championship game, right? Yeah. See, first of all, we're number nine right now. Now, I will say this. I, I don't normally agree with Streeter on a lot of stuff, but, you know, you know, he, he's an opinionated guy. and He's not crazy out there, but some of his thought process is a little different than mine. But I do agree with him on this. If we can put up style points the next couple of weeks, when the rankings come out, we'll be positioned to stay 9, 8, or better because there's going to be some more losses. And then it's just a matter of winning out and wait for people to lose. Does Miami need to make the ACC championship game? If they let's say they don't get in, and they finish ten and one, and they go to a good bowl game, is that still acceptable in your mind? Are you happy with that? Yeah, I mean, because it's the best we could do, you know, with the circumstances. Um, now, I don't foresee Clemson losing again, and looking at Notre Dame's schedule. North Carolina is the one I think that we got to be realistic about as to who beat them. So, in a sense, we got to root for North Carolina, not just to beat Notre Dame, but to kind of put an ass on so that they drop enough that we can move up enough. Because I think the tiebreaker is the two highest ranked teams. Well, which is what, which is what we're fighting. I mean, think about this. We could be a top 10, maybe even a top five ranked team and not make the championship game. There's a possibility that if other teams lose, that Miami could move into the top five or six and, and not uh, and not get into the playoff because, yeah, because you got Texas A&M ahead of you. Florida's going to play Alabama in the ACC championship game. If Texas A&M wins out, uh, they will finish ahead of Miami and could could get into the playoff. Um I mean, there's there's other teams in position. BYU could end up finishing undefeated and finish ahead of Miami. I'm just not respecting BYU. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I I get it. Um, I mean, they're 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 playing Doral and uh, Miami Christian. <laughs> you know, in Fort Lauderdale, Westminster, and they're undefeated. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I can't do that. <laughs> well, Calvin, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man, and doing the segment with me and talking uh, Canes. I'm going to I'm going to get to my interview with Andy Bitter in a second. But uh, what's your prediction for uh, Saturday before we let you go? Um, We should score 40 points. So what what Miami covers uh if they score 40 and win they, they they cover that spread right because it's two so it's two points for the other team so you're picking Miami victory right Yeah I don't see Virginia Tech scoring 40 points on us Okay All right fair enough I'm going to go with uh I'm going to go with Miami 38 to 35 I think it's going to come down to a, a final possession I think uh it could I don't think it will though um, I think, you know, they, they've got a couple of decent receivers, but their receivers have been inconsistent. And their quarterback's just not very accurate 
So once you get into the tendencies and you figure out what they're running, the, the one good thing we got is that Manny and Blake, Blake, this is his second go round with this, but this is Manny's and Banda's and Packy's like fifth time seeing this. So they're very familiar with the scheme mm-hmm. and with Puente and what he likes to call in his patterns. So I think that's going to help. Plus, they just don't have – now, they do have a pretty good offensive line. Darius saw left tackle is very, very highly, but I'm taking Roche over him. Well, Roche had a tough time last week. I think you can look at the opposite side and say maybe Phillips has a, a big game again. I mean, Roche, unfortunately, from where he lines up facing the left tackle, uh, he faced a good yeah, one. He played good. No, he played all right. I was just saying getting to the quarterback, getting pressures and sacks, that may not happen, but that may help Jalen Phillips or Nesta or other guys have a bigger day. But, you know, no, yeah. individually, Roche may not put up a bunch of numbers. That doesn't mean he doesn't play well. So, Well, I don't know if we're going to have a lot of sacks for the simple fact that this guy is – look, he's going to go back. He's going to look for his main receiver, and then he's running. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to play with a spy because this dude – he reminds me, he's a, what's the kid, Bryce Perkins from Virginia? Yeah. He's got a similar mindset, but with a less talented arm. You know, he's not very accurate. He's got strength, but he's just not, like, if he had to sit back in the pocket, we beating him like 70 to something because he just can't, he can't do that. But mm-hmm. he's a run threat, and that keeps you on your toes, and that sets your play actions to boots. But um, I don't know. I just think that if they if they're if they play if they're keyed in like they were the fourth quarter against NC State, I think we can um, we can shut shut them down. And then we don't really have the distraction of the big crowd and you know that song they keep playing. What's that damn dun 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 dun? dun. Oh, the Metallica <laughs> stuff that they play. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, the Metallica song "Enter Sandman" or whatever. Did they, play? they play that thing all game long. Yeah, the, yeah, the atmosphere will be different. It's not going to be a packed house or anything like that. So uh, that'll be that. That's interesting, Calvin. We got to go, man. But I appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, I'm going to yeah. talk to Andy Bitter next. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
All right, so now we're going to break down Saturday's game with Andy Bitter, our Virginia Tech beat writer here at The Athletic. Uh, Andy, how you doing? I'm doing well, covering an interesting team this year all of a sudden. Never a dull moment on the Virginia Tech beat, it seems. No, uh, you know, it was such an interesting start for them. I, I thought them in Miami and North Carolina for a while. I was like, okay, this is going to be a great battle to see who the third best team in the conference is behind Clemson and Notre Dame. And then, you know, uh, North Carolina goes out and loses sort of a head scratcher at Florida State. And then they followed up with another loss. And then VTech has a couple of losses that you're not expecting, including this past weekend against Liberty. Um, I jumped on your Zoom call uh, with Coach Justin Fuente just to kind of hear what was going on with Justin Herbert because I was not Justin Herbert, Khalil Herbert. I call him Justin Herbert. I don't know why I keep doing that. Maybe because he's my fantasy quarterback. Khalil <laughs> Herbert. I, I dropped Herbert <laughs> in my fantasy league. You smart did? Guy that, smart guy that I am. <laughs> I kept him. I, pick, I actually picked him up off the wire, I think, the second week of the season. And uh, ha- happened to just uh, be uh, have the right waiver wire transaction there, but uh, but Khalil Herbert, Juice Herbert as he's known, um, ended up uh, I guess just playing the opening kickoff against Liberty, and we know how pivotal he is to this uh, Hokies offense. What are the chances that he plays this week against Miami? Unclear. Uh, that's as clear as I can be about that. Is I don't really know. <laughs> And Justin Fuente is not one to give injury updates or give any kind of insight on that, so he did not help us much today. Uh, he said if he's good to go, he'll play, and if not, he won't play, uh, and they just don't know at this point. But it certainly uh, changes the complexion and the scope of this offense. Uh, all of a sudden to lose uh, a guy who's on track to be their first 1,000-yard rusher in uh, five years, uh, that that's a big blow. And he's been sort of the consistent heartbeat of this offense each week and that uh, he just kind of churns out these yards. This running game gets going behind this offensive line. And now absent that, uh, that really puts a lot of the onus on Hendon Hooker, quarterback, to, to take over the rushing game. He did last week. He ran for 156 yards. But uh, that's asking a lot for one guy to do. And they really need to get those running backs back involved in the game. And if they could get Herbert back, that would help immensely. But uh, it's just kind of unclear if he's going to be able to do it this week. Yeah, that, that's going to be a big storyline, obviously, as, as we get closer to kickoff. So I encourage our listeners to, to follow you on Twitter at AndyBitterVT to, to, to get the update, because I'm sure at some point, maybe right up until kickoff, you won't know whether or not he's going to play, unless unless somehow they decided to clear him out uh, later this week. Um, as far as uh, Virginia Tech goes, this 38-35 loss to Liberty, I, I watched, I went back and I watched parts of the game, and... You know, it was very winnable for them. You could see how much it hurt Justin Fuente to lose that game, especially sort of the controversy at the end, you know, calling the timeout right right when the field goal was blocked and then not being able to sort of set up their defense for the ensuing play and they give up another sort of gain there that, that makes the, sh- the, the kick a little bit shorter and then to lose it on, on a last-second kick. How What's sort of the mentality of these players right now and, and what was it like after that game? It was a pretty devastating loss, Uh you know, Fuente took it pretty hard. He has defended the timeout that he called. Uh, he just said that he didn't get it in early enough. He always likes to call timeout and get the the field goal defense set up correctly with the right personnel. Uh, honestly, I don't agree with him on that. I feel mm-hmm. like if if your opponent is going to try a 59-yard field goal, you just let them. <laughs> like, let them try it. If they make it, you tip your cap to them. If not, don't give them any more time to think better of the whole situation. Uh, Fuente seems to think that the timeout was still right. He just didn't get in at, at the right moment. 
uh, that led to the unfortunate thing where they blocked it, returned it for a touchdown, and it doesn't count. Uh, you can imagine how devastating that is for a player. If you mm-hmm. go through that play, you have perhaps the most uh, resounding, uh, like ecstatic ending to a game possible. <laughs> I mean, how many times do you see a block, kick, walk-off, touchdown, and then it yeah. doesn't count? So they have to turn around and get lined up for a defensive play don't really get the personnel right. They're in a Hail Mary defense. Liberty throws it short to the sideline, then gets a shorter field goal to win it at the end. I mean, that's just a devastating turn of events. Uh, you know, a lot of players afterwards were, you know, not too talkative. I don't, I don't want to say they were less talkative than normal because they're not really normally talkative in post-game interviews anyway. But uh, I will say this about this team. This is one team that under Fuente, I believe they're 13-4 and four after a loss. Mm-hmm. And they've won all four of their games that they've lost after they've lost a game where they were a double-digit favorite like they were in this Liberty game. Uh, you know, the last year, I think the lowest point of possibly the Fuente era up to that point was that Duke loss where they lost by five touchdowns at home last year and they had Miami the next week. And that was the game where... I, I want to say Miami was two touchdown favorites, mm-hmm. uh, at least in that game. I don't think a lot of people gave them a chance in that. And that was the game they came out and got up 28 nothing, and then hold on late uh, for a win. And it, it really kind of turned the season around. So sometimes I feel like the best of these Justin Fuente teams you see is the week after they have just had a terrible performance and just not lived up to expectations. So uh, it's sort of the zigzag theory with the Hokies. Like whenever you expect them to do well, they don't. And when you have low expectations, they, they seem to come out and play pretty well. I don't know if that's enough to, to beat Miami in a game like this. I'm seeing how Miami's playing and De'Ara King uh, offensively is going to be a problem. I mean, Malik Willis last week for Liberty was a problem. Malik Cunningham the week before that was a problem for the Hokies. De'Ara King is going to be a problem for them on Saturday. Uh, but I I do expect them to play better in this game, and, and Vegas does too. I was shocked to see that yeah. line. Two, it, it opened at two. I checked it today. It's two and a half. It actually went up a little bit. Yeah, uh, Hokies favorite. I, I like that. Just boggles my mind that they could have a top ten team coming in here and be favored after coming off a performance like that. But I guess they don't build those casinos off of uh, losing wagers too often out there. Yeah, I, I I it was funny. Like I saw the line and I said. You know, uh, Vegas must really know this Hurricanes team. They must really know the history of Manny Diaz's team, sort of the letdown, you know. And even the last couple of weeks, Miami's been favored by, you know, nine and a half. They were favored by two touchdowns, I think, over Virginia. And they were in dogfights. And Manny Diaz is kind of like, he's just been saying over and over again, hey, it's all about going 1-0 week to week, right? That's really all it is for him. It's going 1-0. And so I, I think, you know, this Miami's going to this game, and it's kind of a different mentality, I think, than, than years past, where they kind of just thought, oh, we're, you know, like last year against Virginia Tech, sort of a perfect example. Jaron Williams throws those three first, whatever it was, first half interceptions, gets pulled out. They put in Nikosi Perry. I think there's a different mindset in, in, in the eyes of the players. I think they really do buy into this Manny concept now of, hey, we're going to be in a dogfight. Be ready for it. And so I think it's good that they're underdogs, honestly, because if they were favored, I'd be worried. I'd be worried for Manny Diaz. I think it's sort of a wake-up call. But it is scary that, that uh, Virginia Tech uh, does play so well after a loss. And, and I guess my question to you is just, is this team different? You know, In other words, was that loss to Liberty the kind that maybe breaks their back? But obviously uh, that, that hasn't been the case in the past. Yeah, it's tough to tell. I mean, this team this year especially – 
I just can't get a, a read on this team. And I don't know if I could anywhere in the country. It's such a strange season with all the missed time and players coming in and out that consistency from week to week is really hard to tell. It's really difficult to predict. Like, I don't know how you could be in the prediction game this year because mm-hmm. I would just be losing left and right and over and over. But, you know, two weeks ago or three weeks ago now, they were uh, ten and a half point favorites, something like that, going down to Wake Forest, did not mm-hmm. play well, lose a game that I think a lot of people said they shouldn't have. And everybody goes up. Oh, here you go again. The season's over. Then they go up to Louisville and they play pretty well. And that game was only a touchdown win, but. Uh, they were up 21 nothing in that game. They had to, uh, a pretty big lead. Louisville scored late to make it a, a one-score game like that. So they have done it this year where they had a disappointing performance and came out the next week and, and played pretty well. And, and even before that, North Carolina. I know that was a game that uh, you know they didn't quite have their whole defense there, but they turned it around the next week and played really well against Boston College. So you know, two examples this year where they have not had the result that they wanted to and then come out the next week and look pretty dang good the next week. So uh, should make for an interesting matchup. Yeah, and, and the quarterbacks especially because Hooker and Derek are two of the most uh, elusive quarterbacks in the country. I, I look at pro football focus every now and then for for these little interesting stats. They actually, among Power 5 QBs, have forced the most missed tackles, uh, 23 each. Uh, I know um, Hooker, I think, ranks first in rushing among Power 5 quarterbacks this year, 515 yards. King ranks third with 406. Um, King, I think, is a little bit better passer than Hooker, but not by much. I mean, it's kind of like it's just what he's done the last couple of weeks to help him out. But this is a great quarterback matchup uh, just on paper. I mean, it, it, two really good quarterbacks. Yeah, that was sort of the the saving grace last week for Virginia Tech is that Hendon Hooker really put the team on his back. And I mm-hmm. think he had he had a game – uh, at Wake Forest that he was not happy with. It was a disappointing game, uh, certainly relative to his standards. Uh, and he's come back since then and played exceptionally well. I think he had three touchdowns in, in the first two quarters against Louisville rushing. Uh, you know, Really put the team on his back the other day with Herbert out, ran for 156. Uh, those are big numbers for this guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the over-under is in this game, but I feel like I would take the over just yeah. based on how these quarterbacks are playing. I mean, you mentioned Derek King up there in number of missed tackles. He's going to add to that number this week because tackling has been an issue uh, for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's going to be a great quarterback matchup, and I'm, I'm excited to see these two duke it out. Now, one thing I will say, Virginia Tech's offensive line is, is by far better than Miami's if you, if you take PFF at its at its face value. Uh, saw the left tackle, uh, is, is I think the number one power five offensive lineman in the country, according to PFF in, in their rankings. Um, just the way that they have sort of developed that, because I don't remember Virginia Tech being this good on the offensive line, or, or, or are they overhyped? Am I overhyping them as an offensive line? You don't remember them being this good on the offensive line because they have not been this good <laughs> on the offensive line. I mean, it's been a long, uh, really drawn out decade of just bad offensive line play. Uh, they've just been trying to get the numbers up and trying to get the athleticism up and the, the continuity there. And it finally all came together this year. Uh, Darisaw, who's getting, you know, first round draft pick buzz mm-hmm. all of a sudden, uh, he's in his third year as a starter on the left side. They have a couple guys, uh, you know, not both started. One, one has gone in and started Doug Nestor and then Brian Hudson actually started for him last week. They were true freshmen last year. So they finally are, are coming around. Luke Tenuta on the right side uh, is a, a sophomore this year who's grown into his body a bit. Then there's Brock Hoffman 
uh, at center, who kind of brings that attitude to the group that was lacking last year. So I, I think they got better at the end of last year, uh, certainly a little bit better at running the ball. But this year, it's just like across the board, left tackle to right tackle, it feels like they have some maulers up mm-hmm. front. And they, they didn't exactly push Liberty around last week, which I think was disappointing for a lot of Hokies fans. But they still ran for 200 yards in that game. Mm-hmm. And you, you look back... I want to say in like 2013, sometime around there, like when Virginia Tech had a bad rushing game, it would have like nine yards. <laughs> like <laughs> we're talking, not even getting into double digits. Like sometimes, right. like it was a struggle. And now when they don't have a good game, it's like, oh, they only ran for a buck eighty in this game. I mean, it, it's a vastly different offense, and uh, you know they've worked long and hard to get this offensive line room right, just in terms of how many guys they have. Uh, just competing for spots and it's finally there and this is a, a pretty strong group I'm curious to say what they do against this Miami defensive front because I think one thing you say about the Hokies oh who have they done it against have they really gone against any of the top defenses and pushed them around so I think this is a an opportunity because Miami's got some real you know physical specimens and some athletes up there uh, that can be tough to handle so uh, this will be one of the biggest challenges. They go Miami and then Pitt next week after mm-hmm. this. Uh, that's a pretty tough back-to-back challenge for them. Yeah, Miami's front this past game uh, against NC State, Quincy Roche really got shut down. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was going up against one of the better offensive tackles in the conference um, and, and just couldn't get any pressure. But Jalen Phillips had a big day. I think he had 10 tackles, a sack, uh, you know, a couple balls deflected at the line. Um, so this will be a good matchup, I think, again, for Quincy Roche one-on-one. And, you know, he's a guy that came over from Temple that, you know, came to Miami because he wanted to win these matchups and prove that he could, you know, be NFL caliber guy, a complete player. And, uh, you know, he, his, he didn't put up great film last week. So he's going to be motivated, I think, in this matchup uh, one-on-one with Derisaw. Uh, the one thing he that was, Mi- He was a guy that Virginia Tech thought they had. Too. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I mean, forgot he, about that. He I'm was looking at Virginia up. Tech to the point that I think the uh, – the new D-line coaches were kind of like tweeting like, ah, like nabbed another one or something like that. And then all of a sudden Roche pulled the, the okie doke and went down to Miami instead. Yeah. They ended up with Justice Reed, who's been okay from, from mm-hmm. uh, Youngstown State. He's been a pretty good addition to this group in terms of getting after the quarterback. But uh, I'm curious if there are any hard feelings left over from that on the, the hokey side of the staff. We thought they had him locked up. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Um I was going to get to the, my, the the thing with Miami was their pass defense this last game was pretty atrocious. They got beaten a lot of ways. And I know Virginia Tech has kind of got like a big three in the passing game. Uh, Tavion Robinson, uh, James Mitchell, the tight end, and Trey Turner, the other receiver. Um, individually, is Robinson the best one, I guess, uh, of the three? And, and what do you think of their receivers and what they've done? Turner's the best. Of mm-hmm. the three, he's a big play tray. They've called him that since his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the go-to guy, and he did it last week. Uh, you know, made uh, some catches, especially. You know, they were down twenty-eight, twenty-one. Had to go down, or thirty-five, twenty-eight. I should say, had to go down the field real quick and score. And, and they went to Turner a couple mm-hmm. times there when they need a, a spark in the passing game. He's been it. Uh, Robinson has been solid. He's a year behind Turner, so he's mm-hmm. got a little bit more development to go. And then James Mitchell. Uh, big target in the, the, uh, as a tight end. He did not play last week. Uh, okay. He's one of the guys that sat out. I think he had a lower body injury. They didn't really say. I, I, I remember him at Louisville sort of like testing something on the sidelines, seeing if he can run. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much been those three, though. Mm-hmm. They don't have a ton of faith 
and the other receivers beyond that had a couple transfers, Evan Fares from Kansas, Changa Hodge from Villanova that haven't really felt comfortable in the offense, I don't think. So uh, they have tried to get Raheem Blackshear, the running back transfer from, from Rutgers, a little bit more involved in the passing game. I'd expected him to be more of a factor there than he has been this year. And, you know, last week maybe a little bit of that is offset by the fact that he had to take over the, t- the starting tailback duties with Herbert out so they couldn't really split him out wide as much. But I had expected them to, to involve him more in the slot and more in the passing game than what they have. So if they could get him going or maybe get some of these other injured receivers back, a couple younger guys like uh, Elijah Bowick or Daryl Simmons to get them going. I think it would make the coaches feel better about the receivers, but right now it, it is a very small crew that they can depend on, and, and those guys are playing a lot of snaps, and that you know that adds up over the course of the game, and you wonder how fresh some of these guys are by the end. And Blackshear is a running back. I mean, just the difference between him and Herbert. I mean, they're both 5'9 guys. I think Herbert's, what, 15 pounds, about 15 pounds heavier than him, but um, – I mean, you can see there's a big difference, right? There's a big drop-off between Blackshear and Herbert in terms of production. There is, but the the weird thing is, before the season, Blackshear was the one that everybody was talking up. I mean, Mm -hmm. coaches and players alike are saying, this guy is unbelievable. He's going to be the one that's going to... I mean, when they got him eligible, he had to get a waiver from the NCAA to get eligible. You know, Virginia Tech finally wins one of those waiver things. They've been 0 for 2 last year in some pretty high-profile ones. They finally get it. Everybody's like, that's it. This is the key to the offense. And then it comes out there, and it turns out Khalil Herbert is the real deal, too. And he, he's, he kind of took the spotlight there and was the featured back. You know, Blackshear uh, missed some time earlier in the season. For a couple weeks, he was out and couldn't practice. Uh, did something to his hamstring in the opener against NC State. Uh, so I don't feel like he's been quite himself physically, and maybe we haven't seen you know the full Raheem Blackshear experience at this point. But I mean, man, it, as soon as they got him to commit from Rutgers, I was hearing from you know coaches on the staff that you know they were just singing this guy's praises and saying this guy could have gone anywhere in the country and he came here and he's a pretty darn good player. Uh, it, it's been interesting to me that we haven't quite seen that yet because I feel like the hype hasn't quite matched. Um, mm-hmm. what the production has been. But I do think he's a good player. I just think he kind of has to to get in shape or whatever it is or, or iron some things out. Well, this is a game to to uh, sort of have a breakout because I think Miami's had a drop-off at linebacker since Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney left. And and I know the coaching staff this week said they felt like uh, middle linebacker Brandon Jennings had his best game against NC State. But if you look at what they're – what they've been graded by pro football focus and even the coaches themselves have sort of acknowledged, yeah, we need better play from the linebackers. Uh, this was a game that I circled, you know, uh, after a few weeks and said, man, this Virginia tech game is going to be really tough for Miami's run defense. And so I, it's that that's going to be the pivotal point. I think if, if Miami can hold Blackshear down and, and make Virginia tech more one dimensional with hooker and the receivers, I think that's how Miami wins this game. You mean to tell me Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney aren't still there as tw- 12-year seniors? I swear to God, those guys were there forever. I mean, started from like the second they got there. It seemed yes. like they have been there for like Ten a full years. decade. Ten years. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Now Pinckney's on the practice squad with the Patriots, and uh, Quarterman, I think, is a uh, backup with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But they are finally gone. They're really gone. Um, to, your, to your point, yeah, I, I do think uh, – you know, stopping, slowing the running game. I mean, if, if you can turn Virginia Tech into a team that has to pass it in a standard or traditional way, 
then Virginia Tech's offense is far less effective. I mean, they're just not built to play from behind like that or to have to air it out to try to beat teams. They have to to run it first, go off play action, you know, quarterback runs, screens, jet sweeps. They do all sorts of stuff, but just standing in the pocket and throwing it uh, in a traditional way is not their forte. The defense, obviously we knew when, when Bud Foster uh, retired that there was going to be a drop-off, but then you also had a bunch of COVID type of related uh, absences, right? I mean, this defense, it's just, I'm just not used to seeing a Virginia Tech defense, you know, average, giving up 31 points a game and, and to have some of the games that they've had. Uh, what have you seen from it? What do you, what do you, how do you sort of describe what's happened this year? Yeah, it's sort of a combination of a bunch of things, I think. I think you you, lose, you go from Bud Foster to Justin Hamilton, and you go, oh, it's not a big transition because he's, he's going to an assistant that was on staff who was a sort of a Bud protege. But they have changed some things with how they're doing things defensively and uh, maybe requiring their linebackers to make a few more tackles in space or uh, there's just changes to the defense that are going to have to happen that are, are tough to do in a pandemic year where you didn't have spring ball and you didn't have a chance for these players to get used to the coaches. On top of that, it's not quite the defense coming back that they expected from last year. Caleb Farley opts out in the summer. He's a cornerback, you know, mm. probably going to be a, a mid to high first round pick. You know, Virginia Tech does not have a lot of those guys. So to lose somebody like that defensively is a big deal. Devin Hunter, safety that was going to step in as a starter this year, gets arrested. Uh, he's suspended all year. He's, he's out right now. It was a felony charge, uh, automatic suspension until anything is resolved in that sense. Jermaine Waller, uh, an all-ACC honorable mention cornerback, has, has really not played up until last week. I mean, that was only mm-hmm. the second game he played in this year. Uh, Deshaun Crawford, a starting defensive tackle, has been nicked up all year, hasn't played a whole lot. Taiwan Garbett was out in the preseason uh, he just recently came back and is sort of getting back into shape. Uh, you know, th- these are all guys that were projected starters this year that really have not played. And then that's on top of the guys coming in and out. Uh, you know, I think everybody's heard at this point about, you know, against Duke, they really didn't have any cornerbacks. Uh, we're down to like the fifth and sixth guys in that department. Against UNC, they didn't really have any safeties the next week. So it's just been, I mean, you can imagine trying to be a new defensive coordinator like Justin Hamilton on that side of the ball and you have no spring you have guys coming in and out you're missing a bunch of guys that you thought you would have to begin with uh it is just a a moving target it is tough to get things locked down so uh I think that all factors in I, I think the skill level on defense is just not what it's been at Virginia Tech in recent years I mean they're they are not a tall uh rangy fast defense like you always thought of when you thought of Bud Foster's defenses. And that's been going on for a couple years now. I mean, that's not something new. That's something that uh, they're going to have to fix in recruiting and get some guys that are a little bit better athletes on that side of the ball. Uh, you know, you look at Rayshard Ashby, he's like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, if yeah. that. Uh, doesn't look in the best shape this year. I mean, he revealed to us he had a COVID diagnosis earlier this year that kind of messed up a lot of his conditioning and stuff. Uh, you know, he's just not a, a long athlete that's going to get in a lot of, you know, passing lanes and stuff like that. And uh, I think you have that across this whole defense. There's only a few guys you look at and you go like, oh, Divine Diablo, that guy looks like an NFL type player mm-hmm. out there. Uh, there's not a lot of guys that you look at that defense and you say that is absolutely a fact about. So, uh, it's a little bit of a departure from what, uh, you know, Bud Foster's heyday where you had just athletes all over the field and you go, man, this is going to be a long afternoon going up against these guys. 
And the one thing you got to say about Derek King, he's 16 touchdowns, four picks. He doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. And I saw from the from the Virginia Tech notes, I think they're 13 and two when they create, uh, at least under Justin Fuente, when they have at least two or more interceptions. And of course, last year Miami had four against them, which is why they ended up losing that game. They fell behind because of all those early turnovers. But uh, the secondary, at least, I mean, on paper, I mean, you got that Shamari Connor guy who, who uh, I guess, is the nickel, and he's going to be, I guess, lined up a whole lot against uh, Mike Harley in the slot. That's going to be a good matchup. Harley's really blown up the last two weeks for Miami. Yeah, and, and Connor is among their best defensive players for Virginia mm-hmm. Tech. I, I'd say him and Diablo in the secondary, certainly. And I think this year they're doing things defensively that maybe frees them up to play a little bit to, you know, they're playing a little bit more zone mm-hmm. on the back end. So they're not just, you know, sticking a guy on a receiver and saying, follow this guy wherever he goes. I think that's allowing them to see the field a little bit better and do a little bit more. Okay. And that's perhaps why you see Connor and, and Diablo getting in on so many more tackles and making so many more plays. But uh, sometimes it feels like it's from week to week. Like they, one week, the defense is forcing turnovers and flying around and all over the place. And then there's a week like last week where they just can't get off the field. Time and time again, it's third and two, and you know they, they run the ball, and it's a first down. They just can't get off the field under any circumstances. All right, so uh, I don't know if it's appropriate to ask for a prediction on a Monday, not knowing if uh, our favorite running back, uh, Kilio Herbert, is going to be playing in this game. <laughs> I was going to call him Justin Herbert just for, for fun. Um, what what do you uh, – can we can I ask you for a prediction, or what, what's your feeling right now on Monday as for this game? What's going to happen? My feeling is I think Virginia Tech plays a lot better than it did against Liberty. Do I think that's enough to win? I don't know. Because I think Miami is a a legit team this year, and I've seen them play. And, you know, I have some concerns about watching after watching them about, uh, you know, the defense. What happened to the defense against NC State? Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't feel like NC State was a great offense with Hockman and the game at quarterback. Uh, offensively, Derek King is legit, and he's going to be a problem all day for the Hokies. I, I wonder if it's a matter of can they slow him up enough, and then Hooker has a good enough day as a quarterback to score more points than them. I, I just, I don't see this game being sixteen to thirteen or anything like that. Let's put it that way. Yeah, but I do, will... I, I do, th- I do think Virginia Tech will compete. I just don't know if it's enough to beat a team like Miami. Right. Right. Well, it should be. I mean, look, Vegas is usually pretty right. Right. I mean, they usually get it right. And they've got Virginia Tech as the favorite and they must know that Miami's due for a letdown. That's what I think. I feel like uh, they've seen Miami sort of skate by the last couple of weeks and they're expecting this to be a tough matchup. And I am. Anytime they go into Blacksburg, I think, okay, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good for Miami. But, you know, the road teams in this series have, have managed to win quite a bit. So who knows? Yeah, it hasn't been. It doesn't matter where the game's played. It feels like uh, <laughs> it's going to be a, a strange outcome. I, I mean, I remember Miami kind of coming up here. Was it twenty fourteen mm-hmm. on a Thursday night, and they just ran Virginia Tech off Duke the Johnson. field. I Duke mean, Johnson it was bananas. <laughs> it was as much of a butt kicking in Lane Stadium as I've ever seen. And I've been covering this team now almost ten years. I mean, it, that's. That game was one where it's just like I, I think at that point everybody knew like that's the beginning of the end for mm-hmm. the break Frank Beamer time here like it, it was just like laid bare the problems that they were having so uh, yeah and and then like you know last year in Miami they go down there Virginia Tech goes down there and plays like the game of its lives to pull out of a a funk in that game and a couple of years ago uh, you know I remember them going down there and like. Uh, 
uh, Trey Edmonds ran for like four touchdowns in a game where it's just like, what, where did this come from? They're just weird results in this game. So, you know, we can sit here and make predictions on a Monday and we'll probably look pretty stupid on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and the Herbert thing is going to be a big deal because if he plays, I think Miami's in trouble, but that hamstring thing will be tricky. So uh, we'll see. Uh, Andy, I appreciate it, man. And, you know, be sure to not only read what Andy writes in The Athletic, but check out his podcast, Atlantic and Coastal. I joked with you last week on my uh, radio show how you could have come up with a more creative name. And uh, what was it that Carlos gave you? Carlos Ledo, my, uh, one of my co-hosts. What did he say uh, was uh, a better name? I can't remember. It was yeah. something good, and I made a mental note of it. Now I've all of a sudden that, I've forgotten, we've forgotten. Yeah, Maybe, Maybe I don't want to remember it because we've already branded the podcast. I'm like, I can't change the name at this point. We just started this thing. <laughs> well, I, I would ask you about Clemson and Notre Dame, but I'm pretty sure that's going to be the topic on your podcast. So I'll, I'll just tell everybody to listen to that. Uh, great pod, by the way. I love the fact that you have so many different guests on there, and uh, just uh, this conference has been fun. Even I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of hoping. I know it's not going to happen. I'm kind of hoping Notre Dame sticks around because it makes it a lot more interesting, even more interesting than it already is with just how wacky uh, the coastal is. So, I've got bad news for you. There's no way that's <laughs> happening. <laughs> no uh, a guy, way. A guy can hope. A guy can hope. If you can have less than zero percent. That's what's going to happen, yeah. All right, well, so 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 well. So much for that. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, Andy. All right, thanks for having me. 305-954-568. This is the state of Miami. Y'all know y'all come down that way.